Good evening, folks. Well, um, I don't know which parts of the world the seven listeners I have are residing in, but it's evening here in Cape Town, South Africa, a blustery Thursday evening. And um, I got a bit waylaid. I haven't posted as often as I should. Reason being, last weekend I was out in Robertson area, Robertson Wine Valley, for the annual Wine on the River Festival, which takes place next to the Breda River. For those not a fay with the great language of Afrikaans or Dutch, well, Afrikaans is a great language. Dutch is like listening to the Cats and Jammer kids squabbling over a rubber duck. The Breda River means wide river, and next to the wide river grows a lot of vineyards, mostly Chardonnay, and um, next to the river during the festival, all the local wineries put up stalls, and you can merrily go from the one stall to the other, talk to the winemaker, drink his or her wine, just have a fantastic time. I was part of a um, media contingent um, courtesy of the Robertson Wine Valley. Thank you very much for that. Thanks, Myra Wiener, for the invitation. Thank you to the chairman of the Wine Valley, that is um, Peter DeVette from the Wine Farm Excelsior, and his capable wingman, deputy head, vice chairman, shotgun rider, Johan DeVette. They took us around the valley and um, we had um, great wine tastings. They introduced us to fantastic Chardonnays from the entry-level co-op wines right through to single vineyards. And um, no, that's, that's, that is going to be the calling card of the region, is um, Chardonnay. And um, we had some fantastic MCCs, Cap Classic, which anybody knows, who knows Cap Classic knows that Robertson is where it's at, with Graham Beck, Jacques Prevert, and these kind of places. Cabernet is also bright, breezy, easy drinking. Um, we're going to work on a lot of um, their complexity for the Cabernet. It should be a great region. But anyway, I'm digressing here because I am late in posting because I had one hell of a hard weekend because the wine um, on the river was complemented by an evening at Johan de Vett's house where we had buckets of Burgundy, some great um, South African red wines like Canon Copal Sour 1988. And... Um, the best part of a bottle of cognac. And um, when you hit my age, recovery time, you know, it takes a long time to recover. I mean, um, and I was just a bit, bit tired and getting around to talking about wine and such things. Um, what I would like to report on, though, is a superlative tasting of wine that I did have on the past Monday evening, courtesy of one Hein Kuhn. Now, Hein is nothing more than a wine lover who happened to have access to his father's cellar of old South African wines, um, which Mr. Kun Sr. had been collecting since the early 70s. So, um, father said to son, Hein, my boy, it's all yours now. Um, so, Hein shipped some of the wines down from Johannesburg that were in the cellar. And what are we talking about? We're talking about some classic South African wines that were opened for us, me and a couple of friends, on Monday evening by Hein. Check this out. We had um, Rustenburg Dry Red, 1972, Rustenburg Cabernet, 1978. 
We had Stellenreich Cabernet in 1975. That is one of the Stellar's Corporation's great brands, now defunct, unfortunately. We had 8K Carlunay. 1976, 1978. It's called Carlo Ney because um, the um, modest Prussian who owned Eight Cake at the time is a Baron von Karlowitz. Have you ever met a German in the wine industry who's not a bloody Baron? I still want to do that. Anyway, so Baron von Karlowitz said, hey, I'm not calling my wine um, something Francophilian and so ordinary as Cabernet. So I'm calling, calling it Carlo Ney. So it's Cabernet, called Carlinet, from Eight Cake, 1976 to 1978. We had Nürnberg Cabernet, 1977. Valchemiant, 1981. And Jan Bullen could see his first vintage at Fritzenhof, 1981. All these wines were absolutely showing bright fruit, firm tannins, freshness, and real life. I mean, we've all, all had the odd bottle of 30, 40-year-old South African wine, and five times out of seven, you scratched out the cork, threw the wine out through a tea serve, it dripped brown and thick, and lifeless into the decanter, whatever vessel you had to pour it in to get rid of this crumbled cork. And you sipped it, and it was like um, sucking a dummy that belonged to a baby who'd been eating a rotten bultong. It was really, you just smiled and said, well, look, it's old wine, but you're going to survive. We've been through those old wines. They are not pleasant. They are not good. They should be museum pieces. Leave them alone. But these, I don't know what it was. Perhaps it was the fact that Hein and his father had kept his wines 30 years in, in, in one place. They hadn't been moved at all. But each wine was absolutely brilliant, brilliantly developed, um, showing a style of winemaking that obviously is not, um, was not done anymore. We had the alcohols around 12.5. Pickings were a lot greener. There was no malolactic fermentation. There was no um, maturation in, 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 in small barriques. All the maturation was done in, in those big vats, um, fermentation and maturation, or in stainless steel. So a totally different kettle of fish to what you, you, we find in today's style of wines. But whatever, I don't know what they t these wines tasted like three to four years after they release. But now, up to 37 years after release, they were really the highlight of my year so far, except for my well-publicized trip to Madeira. Um, it's difficult to select which, which, wine, which of these beauties really stood out. Of Rustenburg, Stellenreich, Eight Cake, Niederberg, Valchemiet, and Friesenhof. But, but I would say my favorite wine of them all, taste wise, was the 1976 Carlinet from Eight Cake. It was a real classic Simonsburg pine needle, um, sour cherry, a bit of forest floor, but then you had this. this plush, um, almost decadent floral fruit coming through, and um, some broken rock, really haunting, really, really beautiful. I can still taste it as I sit here um, sipping my modest glass of um, unnamed white wine.
Velchemient, 1981. What can I say about Velchemient? Besides that, the 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 guy who put Velchemient on the map was one Billy Hoffmeyer. He died um, over a decade ago, um, but he was from Gauteng and loved wine, wasn't a wine professional. I can't remember what profession he did have. Sometimes I think he was a dentist or a quantity surveyor or something. Obviously, great similarities between those two, but he was not a wine professional. He just loved wine, classical music, and he loved especially um, fine Bordeaux. And he made the first Bordeaux um, blend, style blend, in South Africa. And it was a 1979 Um And Billy Hoffman inspired a whole generation of winemakers. If you talk to the likes of Kevin Arnold and Jan Bullen, could see it today, they will tell you that that real light bulb moment, um, fine wine, was switched on when they went tasting with Billy Hoffman at his at farm, and he would take out some old Bordeaux and so forth. So, fantastic character, and he made this wine. It was a Velchemian 1981, uh, especially bottled for the blue train, although it could have just been the bog standard um, Velchemian uh, with a blue train label on it. But it was really something unique. It was, it was so, it was powerful, a gutsy, a lot of character, um, had like classic, classic fruit structure, a lot of cassis. Um, cherry as well, black currant, but then it had these feral, wildish edges of um, smoky pine, um, a bit of hot tar, sort of um, fig paste. Um, but it's not about flavor because great wines, elements, great wines, magical elements are indescribable. Um, it is that whole harmonious structure from beginning to end and the memory it leaves you with that makes a wine great that makes it memorable it's indescribable and those of you that have had wines such as these would know exactly what i'm talking about it's really fantastic wine um i want to go on to the subject of a bit of news a news flash now a listing fees and our listing fees are thus when a restaurant um, has to procure wines for its wine list. A restaurant has two choices. It has choice A. It could um, appoint someone, a wine expert, or it could appoint its sommelier, who should be a wine expert, or it has an owner with a knowledge and a wine preference. These three parties can source wines for said restaurant, um, select them, and then the, the wines are noted onto the wine list. Um, you will have your, your um, Sauvignon Blancs and your Chardonnays and your Rieslings, if, um, or even the white blends for your, for your starters and your appetizers and your light dishes. And then obviously you'll have your Shirazes, your Merlots and your Cabernets and Pinot Noir for other dishes and so forth. So it's all selected and curated by the restaurant. Okay, so they, what they do then, they will buy the wine from the, the farm, from the producer at a certain price. Normally it's cheaper than what you or I would pay for it. And it will go on the wine list with a markup of between 300 to 600%. Okay, that's the way it works in um, the A, number A. Number B is the listing fee. So what happens there is the restaurant doesn't give a flying hoot about wine 
um, selected for its wine list. All that it does, it it um, takes money from the producer, um, 2,000 rand per wine, 3,000 rand per wine, up to 12,000 rand per wine for a year. And if the producer pays that amount for his or her Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet, Chiron, pays that amount to the restaurant, the restaurateur writes onto the wine list that specific wine's name. Um, having said that, it also it um, it is paid now by the producer. The restaurant's been been paid by the producer, but the the restaurateur still buys the wine at a discount price and then still puts on three hundred to six hundred percent. Yes, it sounds like skullduggery. It sounds money grabbing. It sounds um, greedy and all this and we do not like the concept of listing fees which is model b we don't like them um, and certain commentators of the south african wine industry have become particularly vocal about listing fees they march down roads they throw eggs and underwear and old shoes at restaurant chains who who select their wines for wine lists by means of of listing fees, um, make the, making the producers pay for it. They um, they write letters and blog posts, and they go on the radio and they rant and they rave about um, this immoral situation whereby listing fees are paid. Um, but it's not illegal. Listing fees are not illegal as much as we not do not like it. I mean, I don't like um, Kurt Darren. I don't like Heisgenoot. Um, I don't like oxidized wines, orange wines, but they're not illegal. It's just there. And listing fees are exactly the same. It's part of business. Um, unfortunately, in today's world, many of the pubs and the restaurants and the delicatessens and the supermarkets, they actually charge producers um, the charge produces money, and then after that, the producer is allowed to present his prod, his or her prod, product, whatever it may be, on the shelf of this retail space. Whether it could be paid, this um, the producer could pay this by cash, or there's a discount involved. But that is generally how business does work, and wine is by far not the only um, gluggable item that is subjected to listing fees. I mean, don't get me started on beer and ciders and cool drinks and that. It happens all the time. But we in the wine world, we are very sensitive and we're very delicate and we've got a moral high horse. So we're onto it and we're anti-listing fees, a lot of us. But there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing illegal about it. It's a free market out there. Um, if a guy wants to um, select a wine, and um, the winery is prepared to pay to have that wine on the listing fee. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. And the bad news is, folks, we're going to see a lot more of it. Um, as I, I've been involved in setting up a couple of restaurants and consulting to these places, and they kind of build in the listing fee as part of their, 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 their t initial turnover. So it is there. We can't get around to it. And, you know, if you're going to boycott list restaurants that charge listing fees, I don't know how you're going to, you're going to select where you're going to eat because, um, trust you, some of the Cape Town's 
top, top restaurants, in the top 30 eat arts, all fan lovey-dovey chefs, cult figures, we love them all, but listing fees are used. That's just the way it is. One thing that does gripe me is um, the, re- the industry could have really cleared the air a little bit with listing fees by the industry, I mean the industry body Vinpro. A lot of producers have been coming to me and other journalists and people and so forth saying, listing fees, are they illegal? We hear they're anti-competitive. We hear that, um, that it should be stopped. What can we do about it? So what I did personally, I said, um, I went to Vinpro, Vinpro, the, the um, wine industry body, and I said to the, the CEO, Rico Basson, there's so much confusion and allegations um, about listing fees, and, and, and there's such a lot of unclarity. Go to a lawyer who specializes in competitiveness or something like that, have him or her write, write an opinion is it legal? Is it not legal? What the situation is? So that you can at least go to your 3,000 members or whoever and say, listen, this is that we know you are concerned about listing fees, but these are the legal findings. I think it's a duty Vinpro had to clear that up. But 10 months after I was promised that this subject would receive attention, um, nada. I've asked Vinpro about four or five times now, whether such opinion is forthcoming. Um, I've just been, I've, I've been promised, the industry has been promised, yes, because and I went back to my, um, my groups and I said to them, listen, um, Vinpro are working on it. They're not. They, they lie to us. And really, I'm quite disappointed in Vinpro for that. Um, I've supported Vinpro. I still support them on a lot of issues. I supported them in writing when they were being accused of um, being sluggish on transformation and so forth. So unlike my experience with um, those glorious old wines, I have a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth about that, quite honestly. But I have a glass of wine next to me. It's a chilled glass of Tiedeskral Riesling. And I'm going to have a big glug, and the bitter taste is gone. And I wish you all a very good night, and thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your wine, and enjoy everything that goes around it. Cheers till next time.